Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, I, David, I want to echo, I was just in Boston uh, a few months ago, and what Send is doing there is really exciting. So I hope that um, that, that will continue, and I'm excited to see what God's doing in New England. Um, I'm honored to be among you this morning. I think the last time, I was trying to think of the last time I was in North Carolina. It's been a long time. I think it was when I was a senior in high school, and I came with a friend of mine to visit Duke University. I think that was literally the last time I was here. That's been a long time ago. So it's great to be back in the great state of North Carolina, and um, I'm honored to open God's Word with you this morning. Since I'm preaching at seminary, and since we try to uh, go deep into the Word here and tackle the good stuff, uh, I decided why not tackle the most controversial and complex parable Jesus ever told. So that's what we're going to do. This morning, if you have a Bible or perhaps a Bible app, I want to invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to focus our attention uh, for a few moments this morning. Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read um, the parable of the sheep and the goats as we know it. Matthew 25, beginning beginning in verse 31. Would you uh, attend to God's word with me? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. The thing about reading the Bible is that the more you read the Bible, the more you find that the Bible is actually reading you. This is one of the reasons for me that despite my tendency towards skepticism and cynicism and doubt, um, I keep coming back to the words of Jesus and especially to the parables of Jesus. A parable, as you know, is a story that functions as a teaching device. Uh, 
parables are designed to work on you over time. Their meaning is not always immediately clear on the surface. The point of a parable is to lodge itself in your consciousness like a rock in your shoe or like that squeaky spot in the floor that just won't go away. This particular parable, the parable of the sheep and the goats, has been working on me for about 35 years now. I think it's one of the most perplexing parables Jesus ever told. And as a way of helping us enter into and digest the teaching of this parable, I think it might help if I briefly narrate my own journey in wrestling with this parable. The first time I remember encountering the parable of the sheep and the goats was in the Bible story book that my mom used to read me every night before bed when I was a kid. And by the way, if you're raising kids, I hope that's something you do, just reading them stories from the Bible. As children, we are formed by the stories that we hear. And so I count it as a grace from God in my life that my earliest imaginings and sort of daydreams weren't about superheroes or cartoon characters, but, but that I found myself wondering what it might have been like to watch God part the Red Sea or to watch David kill Goliath, or to see Elijah call down fire from heaven. We give our kids more than we know simply by just reading the Bible with them and to them. So anyway, I remember hearing this parable when I was a young boy, probably four or five years old, and I can remember in in a young childlike way trying to imagine what this judgment of the sheep and the goats was gonna be like. And so here's what I imagined. I imagined the Lord Jesus sitting on a throne at the end of the Huntington Beach Pier. Because I was born in Orange County, California, that's where I spent the first eight years of my life, and and at that stage of my life, that was the widest expanse of open space I'd ever seen, was Huntington Beach. And so I imagined all the people in the world lined up, up and down the beach as far as the eye could see in both directions. And I supposed that Jesus probably wouldn't need a PA system because his voice is probably pretty loud. And so I imagine him saying from the end of the pier, okay, everyone listen up. All of you here who are sheep, I need you to line up over here to my right, your left. All of you that are goats, please line up over here to my left, your right. I sort of imagined everyone in the world shuffling themselves into these two lines. And I, I, I imagined probably there'd be some angels who sort of needed to work their way up and down the line and straighten things out, you know? You there, you're, you're, I'm sorry, you're not a sheep. You need to get into the goat line. Uh, you there, you're supposed to be in the sheep line. Look, I know I'm just as surprised as you are, but that's just what it says. Go ahead and step over into this line. And I imagine those lines would sort of start to advance one by one and the sheep would go on into heaven and the goats would go on into the abyss. And I imagine this whole process would probably take a really long time because even as a young child, I realized there were a whole lot of people in the world. But I figured after all that no one would be in a hurry because this was the last judgment, right? I mean, if you were a goat, waiting in line was better than whatever was coming next. And if you were a sheep, this was the last time you'd ever have to wait in line. And so I imagined everyone would be rather patient. And that was my earliest 
sort of childhood imagining of what the judgment of the sheep and the goats would be like. I do not stand by that interpretation or that recollection. I'm just telling you what it, what it looked like in my five-year-old mind at that time. The next time I can remember coming back to this parable was at the age of about 14. Uh, there was a kid, Matt, in the youth group at church who I was pretty sure was a goat. He had the leaders at church convinced that he was a sheep. But see, I knew some things that they didn't know. In fact, a couple of the girls at my school had stories about Matt that certainly didn't sound very Christ-like. And I remember one girl, Angie, who sat next to me in eighth grade band, when she learned that Matt and I went to the same church, she asked me the question, is that what all the boys at your church are like? Well, the answer to that question was no, but I wasn't quite sure how to explain that to my friend Angie in the middle of eighth grade band. And then I remembered the parable of the sheep and the goats. So I said, see, Angie, when it comes to church boys, there are sheep and there are goats. I don't think my explanation of the parable that day is going to make it into any theological commentaries, at least I hope not. But I do think it helped Angie understand why there are some church boys who should be avoided. My next go around with this parable came during my senior year of high school. Um, A classmate of mine named Trevor died in a car accident on his way to school one morning. And Trevor was Mormon. In fact, there were dozens and dozens of Mormon kids in my graduating class. Their church was right around the corner from my house. And so Trevor's death opened up a conversation in our school about things like life and death and religion and faith and salvation. And it opened up some opportunities for me to talk with some of my Mormon friends about some of the differences between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. And I remember one conversation in particular with my friend Ronnie. Uh, We were talking late one night and she was doing her best to convince me that there was another testament of Jesus Christ called the Book of Mormon and that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. And reaching a point of confusion and exasperation in the conversation, I finally said something like this, look, Ronnie, I don't know what to make of all this, but here's what I know. Jesus said there are sheep and there are goats. And Ronnie immediately retorted, wait, are you saying that I'm a goat? And I wasn't sure if that's what I was saying, but I can tell you that at that moment, our conversation reached a bit of a stalemate from which it did not recover. I came back to this parable a fourth time with fresh eyes, right when we were in the beginning stages of planting Cormdale Church in 2005. At that time, downtown Omaha, Nebraska, was the headquarters of a major Christian missions organization that was focused on global poverty. This organization had been founded by a young, uber-hip guy named Chris who had spent a season of his life working with Mother Teresa in Calcutta among the poorest of the poor before her death. And that experience had marked him in deep ways. 
And he set out to create essentially a Protestant version of the Little Sisters of the Poor. Um, a missions agency that would focus on solidarity with those in poverty. Man, it was a compelling vision. And Chris was one of the most charismatic and enigmatic personalities I'd ever encountered. He would travel around to college campuses all throughout our region and call young Christians to sell everything they had and move overseas to the poorest places on earth and to give their lives to working among the poor and the vulnerable and the disadvantaged. And hundreds of people heeded the call and joined the mission. They were amazing, inspiring, prophetic people. And we planted our church just two blocks from their global headquarters. And so that meant in the early years of our church, Quorum Deo, we had a steady stream of staff and leaders from this ministry finding their way into our church. And they started handing me books from Latin American liberation theologians, people like Oscar Romero and Gustavo Gutierrez. These authors and theologians read scripture through the lens of wealth and poverty. They argued that God had a preferential option for the poor, meaning God favored the poor simply because they were poor. And that therefore, the closer you were to the poor, the closer you were to the heart of God. For these authors, obviously, the parable of the sheep and the goats was a defining text. I mean, Jesus says right here in Matthew 25, right? I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the hearers ask Jesus, when did we do these things? And Jesus' answer is, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. It seems harder to find a clearer statement in Scripture that the Lord honors those who care for the poor. And so I found their reading of this parable compelling. And yet over time, something began to trouble me. Because I began to see a subtle sense of self-righteousness start to blossom among the people in our church who were most visibly committed to the work of mercy and justice. Because after all, if serving the least of these was how you serve Jesus, then the more you serve the least of these, the more you were serving Jesus. And by implication, if you didn't serve the least of these, if you were not serving among the poor, then you also weren't serving Jesus. It didn't matter if you were leading a community group in your home or teaching children the Bible at VBS. If you weren't with and among the poor, you weren't doing what Jesus asked. And the more and more that self-righteous spirit started to spread, the less and less it felt like Jesus and his gospel. Because instead of calling both rich and poor to repent of sin and turn to Jesus, it started sounding more and more like only the rich needed to repent. And instead of celebrating all the ways that people in our church were loving and serving the city in the name of Jesus, it increasingly felt like only one way really mattered. So I, I started to doubt more than ever that I had any idea what Jesus meant when he told this parable. 
Here's the tension within the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's the tension that was raised by my friends who were into liberation theology, right? For all of our talk about salvation by grace, this does seem like a rather worksy parable, doesn't it? Uh, Even Keith Green in a famous song observed that the only difference between the sheep and the goats is in what they did and didn't do. The sheep cared for the least of these and the goats did not. And so it seems, doesn't it, like the prescription of the text is if you want to get into God's kingdom, take care of the least of these. It seems on the surface that there is no hint of grace in this parable, doesn't it? Well, a few years ago, I heard a famous old preacher who has since died preach a sermon on the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in the sermon, he pointed out something so obvious, I couldn't believe that I had missed it all these years. It's right there in the text, plain as day. And yet in all my reading of this parable, I had just missed it. And because I had missed it, I think I had missed the point of the parable itself. Maybe you missed it too. Look again with me at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Do you see it? The righteous people in this parable are completely unaware that they've done these things. They're taken by surprise when Jesus commends them. They haven't been keeping track They don't remember the things Jesus commends. They seem mystified. It's as though they say to the Lord Jesus, "Um, Lord, thanks thanks for your commendation, and you're going to have to forgive me here, but I don't actually remember what it is that you're talking about. Um, I don't recall seeing you hungry and feeding you or naked and clothing you or in prison and visiting you. Forgive me, Lord, but could could you remind me exactly when that was? If Jesus were teaching this parable here at Southeastern today, I, I wonder if he might say something like this. You remember that young single mom in your church that had all those credit card bills? She had 
felt vulnerable when her husband left and panicked and made a lot of bad decisions and gotten herself into a bad place financially. You remember how you had her over and you sat down at the kitchen table, helped her sort out her obligations and debts, helped her build a plan. And then you remember your community group actually took up a little offering to pay off one or two of those debts and help her get started. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, Jesus, I do. It, it was so long ago I had, I had forgotten about that. It was a pretty easy way to help. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Or maybe Jesus would, would say it this way. Do you remember that friend of your son's that had that really tough family situation? Do you remember how you used to have him over for dinner? And you welcomed him at your table and you'd include him in the family prayer. You even made him do the dishes afterwards just so he felt like a part of things. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Now that you mention it, I, I do remember that, but it, it was just, it was so much fun having him around. It never felt like a sacrifice. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Or maybe you might say something like this. Do you remember that refugee family that moved to your city? And your church was coming around them and trying to help them get established. And you remember that father wanted to learn how to drive so he could get his driver's license and get back and forth to work? Do you remember you spent five or six Saturdays in a row in empty parking lots trying to teach him how to drive your car and overcome the language barrier? And it was challenging, but you stuck with it. And then he passed his exam and got his license. Do you remember that? Yeah, Lord, uh, gosh, I haven't seen him in so long, I'd actually forgotten about that. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, it turns out that the parable of the sheep and the goats is a parable of gospel transformation. Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to be changed by grace. I mean, the king in the parable quite obviously and clearly is King Jesus, right? King Jesus who graciously left his throne in heaven and came and found us, his people, hungry. And he fed us with the food of his body. He came and found us thirsty and he poured out the wine of his blood. He came and found us naked and he clothed us with the robes of his righteousness. He came and found us sick and diseased and he laid down his life on the cross to heal us. He came and found us imprisoned in guilt and sin and shame. And he visited us and loosed our chains and set us free. And our king did all of this for us, not because we had something to offer, not because we could pay him back somehow, but simply out of his great mercy and grace and kindness. 
What Jesus is showing us in the parable of the sheep and the goats is that when we receive the king's grace, that grace changes us. It rewires and transforms the the motivational structure of our hearts. When we receive the grace of King Jesus, our hearts are filled up with his love and that love overflows to God and to others in ways that are very simple, very ordinary, very everyday. Jesus is showing us that people who have been changed by his grace do good to others without even thinking about it. Not to put God in their debt, not to pay off some religious obligation, not to get something in return. Rather, works of justice and mercy and kindness and love are just the natural overflow of their lives. I think to put the point squarely, we might say it this way. It's not that the sheep in this parable recognize Jesus in the least of these. It's that they recognize themselves in the least of these. They recognize, I was hungry and Jesus fed me. I was naked and Jesus clothed me. I was sick and Jesus healed me. I was a captive to sin and Jesus set me free. That unexplainable, undeserved grace melts the self-love and the self-interest and the self-protection that lies deep in the crevices of my soul. And it changes me into the kind of person who does good to others without really thinking about it. Keith Green is right that the difference between the sheep and the goats in this parable is in what they did and didn't do. But the question is, what makes them do it? And the answer of the parable is the grace and mercy of the king. Friends, I don't know where God's providence in your life is going to take you from this point. I don't know what God's calling in your future is. I don't know what areas of kingdom service you're going to step into. I don't know where in the world you will go. But I know that you're here because you want to be trained and equipped and sent to make a difference in the world. My prayer for you is that you will make a difference that can only be explained by a work of grace in your own heart. My prayer for you is that you won't just become bearers of the gospel, but people changed by the gospel. I pray that through you, the love of God might be known to the least and the lost in the farthest reaches of the globe and in the farthest reaches of our own cities. And I pray that when the king comes, much of what you've done for him will be hazy and fuzzy in your memory. Because you haven't done it to earn something, but simply because you've taken on the character of the king 
as you've been changed and transformed by his grace. Would you pray with me to that end? Our gracious Lord Jesus, thank you that you came and found us when we were naked and hungry and sick and in prison and that you loosed our chains and set us free. Thank you for your great mercy and kindness toward us in Christ. And we pray, our Lord and Savior, that you might now animate us and awaken us by your Holy Spirit. Would you move your grace more deeply into the places in our hearts and lives where we need to know it, experience it, and feel it? Would you help us never to move away from the great beauty and grace and hope of the gospel? Would you bring us always back to this news as fresh and new every day? And would you continue to transform us by the gracious work of your Holy Spirit that we might be the kind of people who overflow with works of mercy, justice, kindness, and goodness in the world. Not for our glory, but for yours. Not as a demonstration of our goodness, but as a demonstration of yours. Not animated by our own will, but by yours. Glorify your name through us, we pray. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost dying world. Your gifts will help to train more and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.